Uh, in case I haven't met you yet, my name's uh, Garrett, lead pastor here at Delray Baptist. Good to, good to be with you this morning. Before we dive into uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 37 and following, we're going we're gonna to go to the Lord once more in prayer and ask for his help. Would you pray with us? Father, this morning we ask that you would meet us where we are and that you would, by the power of your Spirit, give us eyes to see you for who you are. Lord, many of us are drunk this week with just focus on the world, just thinking about elections and presidents and who got elected and what might happen and who didn't get elected and what might have happened and God just swirling around so many minds. Yeah, there's so many distractions about bills that are stacking up and that are unpaid and bodies that are breaking down and weary and tired and relationships that are broken and it's daunting. Compromises with sin haunt us even now. God, so many things that pull our minds and our affections away from you and to be filled with anxiety and fear and concern and despair for some. But we pray that right now, for your glory and our good, that you would, through the story of your servant Joseph, lift our eyes to see that you are the glorious king a good God who can never be dethroned and who right now is working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Father, might you comfort all of us by your word. We pray it for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, over the past number of years, I've had the opportunity to kind of go to different places to uh, visit friends who are in ministry. And one of those places is, um, is in Turkey. And sometimes we'll stop over in Istanbul. And it's, a, it's an amazing city if you've never been there. Um, check it out if you can. And uh, one of the things about Istanbul that I love is just the culture. It's very different. And um, love going into the markets before we go home to pick up some stuff for the kiddos. And I remember one of the first times that I was there, you, you walk into these markets and there's stuff everywhere that people are selling, just like any other market. But um, I remember coming to this one particular place where there was, there's ladies who are sitting there and they're knitting and, and these big, big deals, these big tapestries. And I was like, what, what are they making? Because I couldn't make it out. And it was, they said, well, they're making, they're making these rugs and they have designs on them. And all I could see was them putting, you know, putting the thread and the needle through and pulling it back and doing all these things. And I'm looking at it, and it just looked bad. That's all I could. I just looked at it. I'm like, well, maybe it's a cultural thing, and I'm trying to appreciate their culture and all that kind of stuff. And I'm trying to figure out what is this thing that they're doing. Because all I see is these, these various colored threads, and they're all just hanging through on this side. And it just, I couldn't figure it out. And then we're just standing there, and then they turn it around. And it's just beautiful tapestry with so many different designs that had been weaved together in this way that just was incredible and it was beautiful. And I walked away thinking, wow, I certainly didn't see that when the other side was turned. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I think life is very much like that. 
that down here in all of our situations and circumstances, mostly what we see are all those threads that are just kind of going in and out with all these different things in our lives, and we kind of look at life very often, and it seems like it just doesn't make sense. It's confusing and very often ugly, as it were. One of the truths of the Bible that God is very clear about is that there is a day coming when the veil that separates this world from where the holy God of the universe dwells will be torn away and history will be flipped in such a way that we will see how the sovereign God of the universe used every single thread of every single event that has ever happened in every single life to weave together a tapestry that everybody will fall down and worship him for. That he is a sovereign God who is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we see that all throughout the Bible, but I think if there's one story for me that has always arrested my heart and instructed me in this way, it's the story of Joseph. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 37 through 50. Hope you brought a lunch. 37 through 50. We're going to be studying the life of of Joseph. Don't worry, I'm not going to read it all. As you're turning there, just a reminder as we conclude our series in the book of Genesis where we've been, there's a sovereign God who makes the world. He creates all things, including people, to worship him, but they rebel against him. There's a fall, and now we go out into a world where there's much pain and turmoil and rebellion against God. God destroys that first world through a flood, but he preserves a man named Noah, and he brings through, and then out of his descendants, he calls a man named Abram, who was an idol worshiper, and God made him a worshiper of the one true God. God made promises to him that he was going to give him a land that he would protect him and provide for him in, that he was going to give him offspring, so many offspring that he wouldn't be able to count them, that one of those particular offsprings, that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. His name is Jesus. Well, Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. One of those sons is named Joseph, and that's whose life we're going to be looking at this morning. The big idea that I want to put before you and I think will, will guide us all the way through this is, is this, that God sovereignly uses the evil of sinners to bring about his good and glorious purposes. God sovereignly uses the evil of sinners to bring about his good and glorious purposes. And as we watch this story of Joseph unfold scene by scene by scene, my hope for us and for myself is that we will, we will marvel at God's power and that we will rest in His sovereign good hand that is working everything together. Now, the way we're going to do this is we're just going to go scene by scene. There's a couple chapters that I'll read most of the chapters. There's other chapters that I will just totally ignore, not because they're not important, but we don't have, well, we're not going to take all day to do this. We're going to begin in chapter 37, which is really important for getting the understanding of who this Joseph guy is. And we're going to see a couple scenes here. The first scene is Joseph's dreams. Joseph's dreams. Look with me at chapter 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. 
Joseph, being 17 years old, so he's a high school junior, and a godly high school junior, which is a miracle in itself, but here he is, 17 years old, and he was pasturing the flock with his brothers, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Verse 3, now Israel, a.k.a. Jacob, also loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. So Israel here, also known as Jacob, he has 12 sons, one of them whose name is, uh, is Joseph. This is where you get the 12 tribes of Israel. They come from the 12 sons of, of Jacob. Now, Joseph here, we're going to notice, is a faithful servant of his father. And he is going to tell his father that his brothers have not been doing a good job with, with the flock. And we're also going to notice here that Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph. And he loved him in a way that showed favoritism toward his brother, And for any of you who grew up in homes where favoritism was shown, you know that that creates something in the hearts of the other brothers. Creates jealousy. Well, verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Jealousy just wouldn't let him. And now in verses 5 down through 11, we're going to see Joseph is going to have two dreams. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed going to reign over us, or are you indeed going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. One wasn't bad enough. Verse 9, then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. So not only is Joseph here the, you know, daddy's favorite, but now he claims that God is giving him revelation. Not just once, but two dreams here. And in this, the the basic idea of these dreams is that his family is going to bow down to him. Now, how many of you are older siblings? All right. What would it be like if the runt struts in in his rainbow bright jacket that daddy gave him? And start saying, I've had dreams, everyone, and everyone in the family will bow down and worship me. I don't know how that's going to end in your family, but in my family, that wasn't going to go well, right? Yeah, this is, this is, not, this is not received well by, by the brothers at all. Now, one of the things we've got to notice here is that Joseph, Joseph isn't going to understand all this himself. He's 17 years old. He mentions that there at the beginning of verse 2. He's 17 years old. But what we're going to know is that God is giving him a promise. Because you see, Joseph has no idea what lays before him, but God does. 
And what God is doing for him is he is preparing him to walk through some trials that Joseph didn't know about, but that were on God's itinerary for his life. And he gives him these promises to cling to, because this is what God does for his people. So this morning, even for you, in the hearing of this word, what God is doing for some of us, and the longer we live for all of us, is he is giving us promises which, which intend to, to work like little candles of hope that we will carry as we walk through the valleys of some dark providences that God prepares for us. Joseph is getting dreams that he will carry with him in the days ahead. So that's Joseph's dreams. Second thing we need to notice here is Joseph's betrayal. Joseph's betrayal. Things are about to go bad for Joseph. Chapter 37, verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel um, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he sent him. Go now, see if it is well with your brothers with the flock, and bring me word. Down in verse 17, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Verse 18, And they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, oh, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Joseph's brothers here are blinded by their jealousy for their younger brother and his favoritism from the father and his his dreams one of the things the brothers don't seem to be thinking about here is they don't seem to have any fear of the lord and give any consideration to the fact that god may have indeed given joseph a dream it's a good word of caution for us to be slow to judge what god is doing in the lives of other people because we don't see what god sees Rather than assume that God may indeed be working and humbly pray and ask God if it's true, they indeed rather mock him and they plot to kill him, their own brother. Verse 21, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed shed no blood, but rather throw him into this, this pit in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. He said this, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore them to his father. You see, Reuben didn't really care about Joseph. He was on the outs with dad, and he thought, well, maybe I can rescue him and restore him because he's his favorite son and get, get back in good with pops. Well, verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him, and they threw him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat. What a picture. Joseph's very own brothers have turned on him. They're sitting outside this pit while he's down there crying out in this pit with no water in this part of the world where, I mean, he is, he is going to be dying of thirst literally down there eventually. They're up there having a picnic, licking their fingers, probably throwing some crumbs in at him, laughing at him. While God's child is down in the pit, broken, betrayed. 
Well, verse 25, looking up, they, the brothers, saw a caravan of Ishmaelites on their way down to Egypt. Verse 26, then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother or conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listens to him. Verse 28, and they, they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. So Joseph is sold for the price of a slave. They took Joseph to Egypt. Then, verse 31, the brothers took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they brought it to their father and they said, this we have found. Please identify if it is your son's robe or not. Do you notice how they refer to him? Is this your son's? Not, is this our brother? And he said, it is my son's robe. Verse 34, then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Verse 35, and he refused to be comforted. Thus his father wept for him. Verse 36, meanwhile the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. You've tried to do nothing but be faithful to your father, to your brothers, to the tasks that are before you, but now you find yourselves betrayed, beaten, left for dead, sold as a slave. What's going to be going through your mind at this point if you're Joseph? You've, you've got to be wondering, God, what are you doing to me? God, what is, what is going on? What were those dreams that you gave me? Is this the way you're going to show faithfulness to me? What is God doing? What Joseph doesn't know is that God is working out his perfect plan. Working according to his promises. Just not as Joseph expected. So that's Joseph's dreams and that's his betrayals. Now let's look at Joseph's flourishing. What happens to him while he's down in, in Egypt? This is in chapter 39, if you want to turn over there. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Remember God's promise to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. Well, here God shows himself to be true to that. Verse 6, so he, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now, if you're Joseph, you could have had reason to just show up there and be like, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. This is a bunch of garbage. I should not be here. I should be back at my home. I've been nothing but betrayed. I've been kidnapped. and I've been sold as a slave, and here I am. What you're going to notice is that's not what marks Joseph's life at all. What marks Joseph's life is that he blooms 
wherever he's planted. Wherever God puts him, he seems to be bearing fruit because he is trusting in the Lord there. Joseph is not controlled by his circumstances, but rather he aims to be faithful wherever God puts him. Which I want to encourage you is one of the most important lessons in a life that will aim to please God. Because friends, we can't control circumstances very well. We try to all the time. God is the orchestrator of circumstance. Our job is wherever he places us, to look to him and to cry out to him and ask him to help us to bloom where he plants us. And this is what Joseph does. But not only was Joseph faithful, but he was good looking. Verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. That means he worked out too. And after a time, his father's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my, fast, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor he has kept anything back from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You remember Joseph's a young man. He's away from home. He's not married. She's likely attractive as well. And he is in this situation day in and day out where a very potentially discontented heart could be very susceptible to a temptation like this. But Joseph has conviction. He knows that she is off limits even if she's consenting to it. He honors, he wants to honor his master. He wants to honor her. But even more than that, do you notice where Joseph's attention is ultimately? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against the Lord? He doesn't say, listen, we might get caught. He doesn't say, hey, you might get pregnant. He doesn't say, listen, I might get fired. He doesn't say, listen, I might end up getting killed over this. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, one of the things that marks Joseph is he loves God. He loves God. And he cares about his relationship with God. And he wants to please Him. And that affects the way that he sees everything that's around him. Including and especially the offerings of sin from the world. You see, love for God is the greatest antidote to sin's sin's temptations. Love for God is the greatest antidote for sin's temptations. Listen to this from Charles Spurgeon. He said, How can I trifle with the sin that killed my best friend? Reflecting on sin's offerings as he considered the cross. Brothers and sisters, pray for this kind of heart for yourself. One that would love God more than anything else. Pray for that at our church as well. Well, verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, notice this is a persistent, ongoing temptation. It's not going away. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. But one day, when he went into his house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. 
but he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. You see, Satan had not been able to wreck Joseph's faith by suffering, so he tried him with seduction. Satan is crafty and he has many schemes for different seasons of life. But Joseph here saw the temptation for what it was, an invitation to destroy his own life and to dishonor God. And rather than draw near, Joseph ran away. Matthew Henry, um, a late great commentator, said this. He said, it is, it is better to lose a good coat than a good conscience. And Joseph did. It doesn't matter what it costs you. Honoring the Lord is the most important thing. And Joseph does that. Just a brief observation for us here in regards to temptations and sin. Friends, you, you can't play with sin. You, you can't coddle it. You can't nurse it. You can't kind of just keep it around. Because if Joseph would have stayed there and said, well, let's talk about this. Let's, you know, what's going on? Why are you feeling this way? And let me hear more about that. That's a bear trap, and he's done. You just can't stay. John Owen said, you must be killing sin or it will be killing you. Do not underestimate how strong Satan and his temptations are. You cannot keep it near. And Joseph says, I gotta go. And he runs and he flees. For some of you this morning, there is temptation that you're trying to keep near. Maybe somebody at work that already you're thinking about going and seeing on Monday that you ought not be thinking about going and seeing. Lies that are lurking that you're, link, you're holding on to. Friends, know this. Sin will consume you. Flee. Flee. Well, you'd, you'd think that this turned out great. But verse 13, it didn't. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he, meaning her husband, has brought among us a Hebrew. You see the little racist slur there? This, ra- this Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me, and he fled, and he got out of the house. And she laid up his garment by her until the master came home, and she told him the same story. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, his anger was kindled. Verse 20, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. You want to talk about injustice? That's injustice. I mean, Joseph has done nothing but seek to be faithful. He's honored the Lord with his words and with his service. He's done nothing but try to honor God. And what does he get for it? He gets framed. He gets lied about. He gets wrongly imprisoned. You see, Honoring God isn't always rewarded with applause in this life. Sometimes the temporary results are perplexing. God works in mysterious ways. 
Joseph is going to be locked up while the culprit roams free. God is working here in ways that you might call mysterious, right? It seems as if Joseph can't escape the hands of his adversaries. Everywhere he's turning, it's like people are pushing him further and further down. But the reality is, what's actually happening is that he can't escape the sovereign hand of God who is working all together through these betrayals. As evidenced by verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. And he showed him steadfast love. Do you ever think of it that way? When injustice has overcome your life, do you, do you stop and see that the Lord is still with you? Do you still see his steadfast love or do you get so bitter or blinded by circumstance that you miss that God still loves you if you are in Christ? The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. <laughs> Verse 22. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, look at that. The... <laughs> The prison master gives Joseph the keys to the prison. He's like, man, you're pretty good. Here you go. He gives him the keys. Because he sees that everything Joseph's hand touches is done with faithfulness. And that his God is with him. No matter where God plants Joseph, Joseph blossoms. Whether he's a shepherd or a servant for Potiphar or a steward in a prison. And soon the prime minister of Pharaoh. Now, how does that happen? Because Joseph knows, in the midst of all of this, that God is good. Even there in that deep, dark cell of an Egyptian prison, God's promises are still true. Even when we don't see how they're true. You've got to know that. That even when it seems, when circumstance would yell out and say, God is lying, he is unfaithful, he does not love you, what the child of God has to rest in is what you know to be true. That his steadfast love endures forever, no matter what the situation or circumstance may be. Well, chapter 40, Joseph's in prison there, and just so happens that two of Pharaoh's officers, the cupbearer and the baker, wind up there for something bad they did, and they both have dreams. And in the morning, they're troubled, and Joseph says, what's wrong, fellas? And they said, we had some dreams. Now, if you were Joseph, what might you say? I had some dreams one time. I know about dreaming. Stupid dreams. Could have got bitter right here. Let me, let me tell you about some dreams that I had one time. That's, that's not... That's not what happened. Rather, chapter 40, verse 8, he says, Interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And Joseph interprets them. And for the cupbearer, he says, Your head's going to be lifted up. You're going to be exalted and restored to your place. But for the baker, your head's going to be lifted off. And you're going to be executed. And then 
Before these two are taken away, Joseph looks at the cupbearer in chapter 40, verse 14, and he says, Only remember when it goes well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me in the pit. Joseph's not unaware that his circumstances are bad. He's very aware of it. He's just not controlled by it. But he, crawled, he tells this guy, please remember me. Well, what happened? Well, chapter 40, verse 21. Pharaoh restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. You ever been forgotten? Joseph has been faithful, and he has been forgotten. In each day that passes, you've got to wonder, what would happen to your optimism every day that a sun sets there in that prison? You've got to be wondering, what what are you doing, God? And listen, it wasn't easy there. Listen to this from Psalm 105, verse 17. Joseph was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck put in a collar of iron until what God had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Have you ever been tested by God's slow fulfillment of his promises to you? Have you ever waited on God for something? And it seems that as you wait, nothing but circumstances stack against you and rise up to mock you and your faith in God that cries out to you, are you going to keep trusting this God? Are you going to keep wasting your life? Are you going to keep doing this? And this is how he repays you? Joseph is sitting in this prison cell with a dog collar around his neck made out of iron with his feet shackled. Wall of hell cries out, where's your God? And yet he keeps trusting. He was being tested by God's word. He endured incredibly unjust and painful circumstances. He was betrayed by his family, a victim of racism, imprisoned on false accusations while the culprit roamed free. He's forgotten by those he served. And what does he do? He continues resting in the promise that God is with him and God is for him and that God has promised him something that hasn't happened yet so he can keep waiting that God will set all things right. So Joseph struggled. Please do not hear me this morning making light of the pain of circumstance that you may be in. But he wasn't dominated by those feelings or the surroundings because he knows that God is greater than them and that he will hold him fast. brings us to Joseph's exaltation. Chapter 41. Now after two whole years, after two whole years, two years, Pharaoh had a dream. 
after two years in a prison for there for something you didn't do. Two whole years, Pharaoh had a dream. In this dream, we won't read the whole thing, but basically there's a dream where he has seven plump cows who get eaten by seven skinny cows, and he got seven plump things of grain, and they get taken over by the seven thin. And in the morning, chapter 41, verse 8, it says, In the morning his, meaning Pharaoh's spirit, was troubled, and he sent and he called for all the magicians, but there was none that could interpret the dreams to Pharaoh. But then, sure enough, the cupbearer says, Ah, uh, you know what? I know a guy. I remember this Hebrew guy who once interpreted a dream I had. Remember about me and the baker guy? Yeah. Chapter 41, 14. This, for me, is in the top three of my favorite verses in the story of Joseph. 41, 14. Pharaoh sent, and he called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Now, what we're going to see down in chapter 41, verse 16, is that Joseph is 30 years old when this happens. That means it's been 13 years since he had the dream. 13 years he's been waiting and been betrayed and been going through all of this. 13 years. But how quickly can God change things? Bam, like that, in an instant. He never gave up trusting. And just just think about it for one moment here. Think about God's wisdom in delaying. What what if the cupbearer had remembered Joseph two years earlier? What if as soon as he got out, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, and there's this guy named Joseph down there, great guy, he's in unjustly, can you let him out? And they let him out, he would have been sent back home, and none of what's about to happen would have happened to him. All of God's delays in your life and in the life of his people are planned and are wise and are intended for good. All of them. Wait, he knows the way. Well, he interprets the dreams for Pharaoh, and he says, basically, here's the deal. You're going to have seven years of plenty when things are going to go well, and there's going to be seven years of famine, which are going to consume the years of plenty. So here's the solution. What you need is you need a wise man to oversee the whole, uh, basically the whole deal, and we need to store up 20% of all of the grain that's coming so that we can make it through those hard days. Um, and then he, he turns it over to Pharaoh. He doesn't start candidating or anything. And then in 41.39, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all, of, all that I have. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. Verse 41, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring and he put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Verse 43, and he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. After 13 years of being forgotten and forsaken, in an instant, he goes from being a prison inmate to being the prime minister of the most powerful nation on the planet. He was thought to be dead, but rather he is exalted and given all authority, and everybody in the whole nation is bowing down before him. God promised him that this was going to happen, and it does. Brothers and sisters, the day of exaltation looks very different for every person. 
There are some who get to see these kind of moments in life. But what you've got to know for the Christian is that whether it happens in this life, it will most certainly happen in the life to come. That there is a day when God will make all things right and fulfill every promise that he has ever made. We must wait. Now let's watch Joseph's reconciliation. So that's his exaltation. Now watch his reconciliation. And this is chapter 41 through 45, and we're not going to read all of this, but I think as the story unfolds, we're going to see a bit of a mirror in the way that God works through circumstances to bring his people to himself. In chapter 41, things go as the dream revealed. They had seven years of plenty, and then the famine sets in, and it's so bad that everybody in the world starts coming to Joseph to get bread. Things are bad everywhere, including in the land of Canaan, where Joseph's family is. Well, chapter 42, Jacob, the dad, hears that there's bread in Egypt, and he says to his sons, what are you all looking at? Get off to Egypt and get some bread. So he sends all his sons, except for one, Benjamin, because he's afraid that Benjamin might die. Their father is still scarred after the loss of Joseph. Well, chapter 42, verse 6 says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land. And he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves down with their faces to the ground. Verse 8, And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Can you imagine that moment for Joseph when he sees his brothers? Well, Joseph goes on to say to them, Well, you're spies. And they say, No, we're honest men, except for the fact we killed our brother. Um, He throws them into jail for three days, and then he comes up with a test. And basically the test is this. You're going to go home, but you're going to leave a brother here. And then I want you to bring back the youngest brother, Benjamin. Then the brothers start talking among themselves, 42, 21. They said to one another, we are guilty concerning our brother, meaning what they did to, to Joseph, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. And that is why this distress is coming upon us. They think God's getting them back. Well, verse 23, they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. So Joseph, this whole time, has been talking to them through an interpreter, and they don't know that he can understand every word that they're saying. Well, verse 24, then he turned away from them, and he wept. He wept. So then Joseph ties up Simeon, and he sends the other ten off with grain. They travel back home. Jacob is grieved that another son's back there. They eat the grain. Then Jacob says, all right, go back. And they say, well, we can't go back unless we take Benjamin. And Jacob's like, I can't lose another son. And they're like, we can't go back without him, and we're going to starve to death otherwise. So back they go with Benjamin. And they arrive back there at Joseph's palace, and Joseph asks if the father's still alive. They say he is. And then chapter 43, verse 29. Joseph lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin. Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber, and he wept there. So again, I think it's really important to point out, as we watch Joseph be be faithful in the midst of this, don't miss the fact that he is a person like you and like me. He is broken. All these words that's used, he was grieved, he cried out, he begged for us not to do this. And then when he sees these people who have hurt him, he weeps, he's wounded, he's broken. 
Faithfulness to God is not reserved for the strong. It's only possible for the weak, for those who know they're weak and they know that God is their only strength. Well, Joseph comes back in and he has them all sit down at the table. And this is one of those things you'd love a video for because what he does is he sets, he sets them all together in birth order. And they start noticing and they start looking at each other and they're like, uh-oh. They're like, we're, we're in trouble. This, this guy, he knows us. Well, chapter 44, the brothers get ready to leave. He gives them bags of grain again. And then Joseph is going to, he's going to put a test on them. He wants to see if these brothers are the same as they used to be or if they're different. So what he does is he takes a valuable cup and he puts it in Benjamin's bag and they leave. Then he sends a posse after him and they arrest the guys and they say, somebody stole um, Joseph's cup. And all the brothers start saying, listen, we swear we didn't. And if you find that cup in any of our bags, you can kill us. Or you can kill that one who took it. And who's got it? Benjamin's got it. And you can just see all the brothers start tearing their clothes. They're like, no, not Benjamin. Benjamin, what are you doing? You know, like, what's going on? And they, they got to think about Jacob. Oh, no, dad, he's going to lose another son. So Joseph brings them all back. And now the brothers are faced with the decision. Do we let the favored son of the father die or do we lay down our lives to save him see what joseph's done is he has created the exact same situation of 13 years prior he wants to see if they are going to be repentant or not he is dealing with them in a way that may seem harsh on the surface but it's the only way to really get to their heart which by the way God does the very same with us. Sometimes God will deal with us in our lives in ways that appear very harsh. But the reason is because he is uprooting us from things that we're trusting in to see if we will trust in him. Well, Judah pleads for Benjamin to go free. And he says of his father, Jacob couldn't handle it. It will kill him. Chapter 44, verse 33, Jacob says, Please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. Judah says, Take me. Let me stay here. Take my life and let him go free. And it's in that moment that Joseph knows that his brothers, they've learned. And they've repented. So chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. The word dismayed means literally or trampled. You ever felt he got hit by a truck? Could you imagine these guys? <laughs> like, Joseph's the most powerful dude in the world and you know what we did to him and now poof, it hits him. The brothers see who he is and you've got to wonder in that moment if everything kind of clicked. That's why he started asking about the father. That's why he bound up Simeon. That's why he wanted Benjamin. That's why. And you just see all these circumstances starting to line up in a way that 
Joseph had orchestrated for them to be brought to repentance. Well, and then verse 45, verse 5, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. I am your brother Joseph, whom you have sold into Egypt. He says, come closer. Don't keep at a distance. He still loves them. Despite everything that they had done against him, all the ways that they had betrayed him and broken the Father's heart and lied, all the ways that they had been wrong to him, he still loved them. And now he has sought them and he is reconciling them to himself. And friends, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but that is what the entire Bible is about. It's about the way that God, in his mercy, through his son Jesus, reconciles sinners to himself. Those who have done nothing but betray him and turn their backs and lie against him, so much so that they would put him to death. But God shows mercy in Jesus. The one who shows us our sin. Who, and as he's doing that, we begin to see how he orchestrates all of our life to bring us to a moment to see him and to believe in him. To see this one, Jesus, who in many ways is much like Joseph. Joseph, in, you might call, is a, a picture of, of Jesus. Jesus, like Joseph, was the good shepherd who is uniquely loved by the Father, who declares the sins of men. And because of it, he was despised by his brothers. They conspired against him. They sold him for the the price of a slave. He was falsely accused by those that he served. He was thought to be dead, but he is not dead. Rather, he has been exalted and given authority where he is off ruling over the Gentiles. And after a time of tribulation, his brothers will be brought back to him. And they will look upon the one that they struck. And they will see that he is the sovereign one who's been giving out the bread of life. The sovereign one who rules over all things. Who holds in their life now life or death. And they will see that in his mercy, he extends forgiveness. And that he will call them to share in the blessedness of the land that he rules over. It's amazing, that picture of Christ. And if you're here this morning and you know yourself not to be a Christian, what you need to know is this, that it is in God's wise plan for you to be here for this morning. To hear this story of Joseph. This one who pictures the Savior, Jesus, who came and who died For the sins of sinners like us who did nothing but turn against him and betray him in spite of all his faithfulness. Who took your sin upon the cross and then rose from the dead and now extends forgiveness if you will but bow a knee to him. You see, because there's a prophecy that says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Today is a day of mercy which you may do it by choice. So if you hear God calling, do not harden your hearts but turn to him and bow the knee and surrender to Jesus as your Lord. And he will forgive you, and he will say, come near, come near. I know where you've been. I know what you've done, but I love you. Come near. Well, the story ends well, and I encourage you to read it. Joseph promises no harm to them, promises them they will get the inheritance with him. Pharaoh gives Goshen 
um, for Israel to, to come, and they all come, and 70 of them come, and they live there with Joseph, and Jacob blesses all the sons, and then, then Jacob dies. What we're going to do in our last couple minutes together now is I want you to hear Joseph's explanation of what happened in his life. Joseph's explanation. There's two scenes that Joseph reveals what he's learned about God from these 13 years of pain. Scene one is back in chapter 45. So 45, verses 4 through 8. Hear this. This is right after Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, verse 4, Come near to be pleased. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve you for, for a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. Verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Three times, what does he say? It wasn't you who did this. It was God who did this. Now, does that mean that they actually didn't do anything? Of course not. They did it. But who was behind the whole thing? God was. Joseph wants to be really clear for them and for us, and I imagine for himself as well, that it is God who orchestrates all events. There is no such thing as coincidence. Oh, it just so happened that Joseph was sold to the Egyptians, and it just so happened that Potiphar bought him, and it just so happened that his wife was an adulteress, and it just so happened that he was put in Pharaoh's prison, and it just so happened that the butcher and the baker wound up there in the same time that he was there, and it just so happened that he was forgotten for two years, and it just so happened. No, that's nonsense. There's no just so it happened. There is no such thing as luck or chance in God's universe. Rather, he orders and orchestrates every single thing. You've got to know that. There is no such thing as luck or chance in God's universe. He orchestrates everything. And for God's people, we rest in that as, as, the, as the ballast that holds our, our ship from being tossed to and fro. And then the second verse where he says a very similar thing is over in chapter 50. It's at the end. Genesis 50, verses, starting in verse 15. This is after their father dies, and now they get really nervous, because now Pops is gone, so what's Joseph going to do to us? Chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So, by the way, I want you to notice, though there is forgiveness in Christ, there are still haunting consequences for sin. These brothers are haunted. They really are. But listen to words of gospel truth that come on them. Verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. So Joseph wept when they spoke to him. It broke his heart that they, he would, it broke his heart that they would think that he's going to come after them now. Verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. They're trying to earn his favor and forgiveness. 
But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? You see, Joseph doesn't feel the need to take vengeance into his own hands. Rather than condemn them, he comforts them. How does, how does that happen? This is the fruit of a heart that has been ministered to by the providence of God. Joseph has known the patient, providing, persistent, protecting love of God. And his soul has been strengthened by God in the midst of that deep, dark prison. And all those times that the sun set on another day that he had felt like he had been forgotten, he was reminded that God had not. He's seen God handle slavery and injustice and imprisonment. And if that's the fact, God can handle you. Verse 20. As for you, he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That chapter 50 verse 20 testifies to the very fact that comforts God's people in the midst of all their afflictions. That God sovereignly uses the evil of sinners to bring about His good and glorious purposes. This is the mystery behind all of God's ways in this world. He can use evil to bring about good. God plays on both the black and the white keys when He plays. No place is this seen more clearly than at the cross. Where Sinful people crucified the sovereign Son of God and put Him in a grave. And Peter says that this was predestined to occur. This Jesus, this is Acts 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, killed by the hands of lawless men. The cross was pre-planned and God new wicked men would revolt against him. How can them acting wickedly and God being perfectly sovereign be held together? It is a mystery. But it is a true mystery. God is not pleased by evil, but he is never perplexed by it. This is the pillow on which all of God's people lay their head. And it was the pillow that Joseph laid his head on. That's why the book ends with Joseph saying, Verse 27, carry my bones up from here when you go. You see, if anybody could have got a pyramid in Egypt, it probably would have been able to be Joseph. But Joseph said, I don't want your stinking pyramid. He says, I'm an Israelite. My God has promised me a land, and it's in the land of Canaan. So when you guys get out of here, and you go back there, because he knew God was going to take the people back there, he said, you take my bones and you bury me there. Because he knows that there's a God who works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And it's in that that God's people find their rest. Praise God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven.